we're going to work on today as we explore our further steps in really we've been discussing until now the first step into spirituality trying to trying to encroach upon the divine as it were getting experience of something which is transcendent and we we did that by confronting head on the notion of the limitation of the human mind to comprehend the mystery of existence, whether you're atheistic or religious, it doesn't really make a difference because we can only work with the world of cause and effect. And the universe belies the notion of cause and effect because we have no idea what the beginning of the beginning was and we can't really fathom it. So we have to resort to something like saying it always was eternity that had no beginning, but our brain can't fathom the notion of eternity or no beginning. So we get strapped, um, constricted or buckle down into an admission that there's something beyond. Now, when exploring that something beyond, so then the spiritual system articulates a mechanism of connection, but not of understanding, because it's, by its very nature, incomprehensible to the human mind. The human mind's got a different set of algorithms in its processing hardware that can't ever fathom anything about the divine and therefore between the divine and the human there's this world which allows an interface which is called the world of spirituality the spiritual world and it's an invisible world even though it may have impact on the physical realm that we're experiencing essentially the world itself is invisible and the access is because it's constructed in a way that the rational mind can grasp it even though the senses can't see it, we're able to somehow get a handle to approach something which is beyond our comprehension at the highest level. So there's this invisible reality which underlies everything that is physical. It's almost as if there's um, a series of uh, refinement in our experience of reality. The most base reality that we can connect to is the reality that's filtered through our senses, physical world, that we experience through our five senses of taste, smell, sight, hearing and touch, and thereby we can touch and then feel and we get feedback and that's how we interact with the reality around us. A higher reality would be the emotional reality where we can't actually feel someone else's feelings. I can't I can't see my my, I can see its manifestation, but I can't see the feeling. I can see my hand, but I can't see my anger. If you see the expression of my face, you can register that that's anger, but the emotional world is essentially an invisible world. The world beyond the emotional world is the world of thought and concept, which, even though it may have a manifestation in the physical world, but it doesn't have to. It can be completely abstract. So we have, we have higher degrees and higher degrees of abstraction, and we can inhabit even the world of conceptual reality. For example, if I'm a very academic, intellectualized person, I can see the physical reality through its blueprint. And when I look at this room, and I have an architectural and engineering mind, instead of me seeing the design of the room, I could comprehend the room as a notion of space distribution with a variety of different principles of physics and architecture at play. And then I could imagine those principles becoming manifest in the room, but I could not. I could just think about the principles as well. Is is everyone following this 
very generalized description because it's really kind of bringing you up to speed about stuff that we've spoken about before. But the bottom line is that entering into the spiritual world is entering into a brand new reality where the, the nature of the flora and the fauna cannot be grasped by our senses, at least initially. It could be that we can refine ourselves to an incredibly high level whereby our feelings and our senses can actually respond to invisible spiritual forces. But that's a gradual process. Which brings us into what is that process. Because really the overall topic, Yishaf, I can just bring you back for one second, is the overall process is how do we make our first tentative steps into the world of spiritual reality. And we suggested that the first step is the comprehension that the divine is inaccessible fundamentally through the human mind. The second step we mentioned was creating a cogent reality out of the spiritual world by employing the nature of choice and recognizing that the spiritual reality has consequences to it. That was one of our um, next steps along the journey. Today I would like to speak about the process. How does one grow? What is that process? And specifically people who are enthusiastic about their spiritual growth, there's a certain level of seductive energy which pushes a person to think, well, you know what? I'm in Jerusalem, which is this, this real epicenter of spirituality. And I've got this huge opportunity to put myself out there for spiritual growth. Do you know what? I'm going to go there. Go in. Full steam ahead. It's okay, mate. What are you going to be doing? Because, well, I'm going to be praying, even though the normal prayer service is one hour. I'm going to push it and really experience the power of prayer and push it to one and a half hours. Two hours, maybe. And then you bolster yourself because you think, listen, I'm doing what, as it were, Hashem wants me to do. And we have a principle that when a person does and he wants to do what's in line with Hashem, this is what the Gemara says. Habar the one that comes to purify himself, Messiah Oisoy, he gets divine assistance. So do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it all I've got plunge into the deep end, and I have a shame to catch me if I fall. That that's, could be a, and it's a kind of a, a kind of a rationale and a way of thinking that, I, that I've seen. So I want to read a verse in Mishle Proverbs, which gives us one of the most profound insights into growth. The verse is as follows: Iveles adam to salef darkoi. The foolishness, the unthought-outedness, the um, stupidity of a person makes his way go crooked. Meaning he goes off the way. Now, if you ask me, well, well what could that mean? I mean, it's a very gen- general statement. I say, well, you know, like, a person's not thinking, so he kind of gets distracted and he goes, he does all kinds of things. So his way is a way of health, and then, you know, he's stupid. So he doesn't think about the implications of his health if he eats you know, high fat foods and they've got lots of sugar in them and therefore it will cause him to be unhealthy. So his derech is his health and his foolishness will cause him to go get distracted to lose that derech. Derech could be his career. His career he wants to become an accountant but then he gets 
Even it's Adam to serve Darko, but then he gets, you know, he gets caught in by like playing PlayStation and then he doesn't learn for his exams. He's like getting there or Fortnite or, or watching his ninth round of Game of Thrones or whatever. And he gets, and then, and then that kind of that, that, that inaccurate, silly decision, he loses his way. So the first part of the pastor is, I think, quite an obvious statement that if you are not well thought out, so then it's going to make your, it's going to make you ineffective in trying to achieve what you want to achieve. But then the second part of the pasuk becomes um, a little bit puzzling. And then he'll get angry with Hashem. Now, why would he get angry with Hashem? <laughs> I decide that I'd like to get this degree. And I kind of, I'm, I'm studying for the exams and all of a sudden I get distracted. And all the time that I would have used to learn, to use to study, I used to get distracted by a TV series or a game or whatever. So why would I get upset with Hashem? Hashem, I get upset with myself. I, mean, I was stupid. I don't know why I did that. Where would there be a case where a person's stupidity makes him do something which pushes him off his derech and he gets upset with Hashem? So I think this is the underlying question that the Vilna Gon in his parish on Mishle, on his so the Vilna Gon Kramer, the great sage of Lithuania, who lived in Vilna, and hence he's called the genius from Vilna. The Vilna Gon comments on this verse, and he says a understanding which is profound in terms of coaching us in our spiritual growth, and in fact, it's a really very basic principle in life, and of course, in spirituality. He says the following thing, and I'm going to read inside because his words are so beautiful. Our sages tell us, that when you want to do the right thing, when you want to go ahead and pursue what's correct and what's good, you will get assistance. And there are times, a person begins the study of Torah and he starts to do mitzvahs. It's like he's really getting into it. But afterwards, he just can't sustain it. It's just way, way too hard for him. He tried, but just the ongoing, relentless nature of the obligations that have rested upon his shoulders become overwhelming. He just can't handle that burden anymore. So he's like, I can't do it. I actually can't do it. And he says, well, the reason why I can't do it is because the promise of getting assistance has not been awarded to me. It says in the Gemara that if you try to do your best, Hashem's going to help you. So where's Hashem's help? I did it. And I just can't handle it anymore. Why didn't he lighten the burden? Why was I so hot? And therefore he gets upset with Hashem. So, one second. But why is it called Ivelis Adam? Why is he called stupid for doing that? This guy's a good guy. He made decisions which are furthering his avoidance Hashem, his, his connection to his spiritual tradition, and he's really doing his utmost, and he's pushing himself beyond all boundaries, and then the whole thing kind of collapses. He's got every right to be upset with Hashem, no? I mean, like, what? I, I get him. <laughs> I get the guy. No, I get the guy. What, what do you mean, I get the guy? I've been the guy. <laughs> I've been him. I've lived in those shoes. You want to do it, and then you try, and you try, and you really want to concentrate in your, in your Shemona Esra, and you cut your focus, and you go to focus, and you try, and you do day one, day two, day three, day four. I don't want to dive anymore. 
<laughs> I don't want to dive in anymore. It's just too intense. I can't handle it. And then you try learning with an interruption. I'm not going to say words. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to get distracted. Day one, day two, day three, day four. I can't bear to go say it. It's just way too much for me. I've been there. It's not fair. I feel discriminated against. I feel that Chazal gave me a promise I didn't keep. How could they not do that? Says the God. No, let's go back to the beginning of the passage. You were stupid. I was stupid. Why was I stupid? Why was I stupid? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I only did good, right, geschmack, holy, sanct, heilige Sachen. What did I do wrong? Why? 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 What did I do wrong? Vu, ki kol adam, ki kol adam, tsarich leilech lefi madrei a person has to act within his own level. For logic points, and he cannot jump. And therefore, if I decide that I would like to take two steps forward in my service Hashem, I'm a fool. Because I can only take one step forward. Because the way you learn to walk is by crawling, toddling, and then taking one tentative step forward. You can't go from crawling to jumping. It doesn't work. Your body doesn't have the resources to, to facilitate it. And over here, the Vilna Gaur tells me an amazing thing. He says, spiritual growth is not delusional. It's also tight. It also takes into consideration the limitations of the growth process. And just like I wouldn't think to myself, if I wanted to run a marathon, that I'm going to start training by starting off 10Ks a day, even though I haven't run in the last six months, because I really want to, I really want to, I really want to. I'd say, well, yeah, you really want to, shmantu. At the end of the day, you've got to build up your resistance, you've got to build up your fitness. If you do that, you're just going to run for three days, you're going to be so stiff, so broken, you ain't going to be running again. So just like the physical world, in order to create fitness, in order to create growth, it requires a process of step-by-step increments, says the God. Spiritual growth is no different. Not only that, but if you try to go too far, there's no divine assistance. The spiritual system works like the physical system. And just like in the physical system, you can be prudent and well thought out. And it doesn't work based on what you want, based on what you have. You would think, no, maybe the spiritual system is not a tight system. And if I really, really want to do it, nothing can stop me. And the answer is everything can stop you. If at first you do not succeed, try, try and try again. And you'll fail every single time. (laughs) Just keep on failing. So he says, You can't jump. But if you work within your resources, you take the next step that's right for you. It may not be right for the person next to you. Maybe it's too far or maybe it's too slow. But for you, you need to do it. So over here we already recognize that each enough each and every one of us has a different path and a different trajectory and a different next step. And you can't compare yourself to others because their next step may be you jumping. Their next step may be you stagnating. The only person you can look to see where the next step is, is you. And therefore implied in this gone is that not only do you need to use thorough reasoning and planning for which step should be the next one that you take, but you also have to have a prerequisite of self-knowledge of what resources you have and where you are
are today in the journey of spiritual growth. Vavki Yisrael. And then, listen to this, and then when you move incrementally forward, that's when the boost and the turbo comes in. Then the Siyat will help you. Then you'll get divine assistance. Meaning you'll take one step forward, then you'll feel this energy from behind that you can take another four steps forward. You'll feel it and it will be legitimate and it will help you and it will assist you. And that's what the Pasuk means. The verse begins with the foolishness of a person. Because of his foolishness, she also built Yeshua Das. He did this without a clear, solid, weighed up reasoning about what should I be doing next. And that's why he gets upset with, upset with Hashem for not helping him out. So over here you see an incredible, important, fundamental guideline in how growth works in this extremely complex and sophisticated system of Jewish spirituality, which can be overwhelming. And it's so difficult to navigate. Because on the one hand, when we do get inspired by it and we see its arcane structure and we get almost overwhelmed by the breathtaking beauty of what it would be to coherently consolidate that system in my being. I want to do everything now. I want to know Shas now. I want to be the Tzadik Godel Hador now. And therefore I think, well, okay, well, why don't you do that? And then I get this kind of this rush and this adrenaline. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then the Vilna Gaon says incisively, no, don't fall prey to that. You're going to lose yourself. Think carefully, is this the appropriate next step for me where I am right now? And I can only move one step forward. Now, obviously, for many people, this is a challenge. And that's because very often we've taken on board, taken on board a system of thinking which places the value on achievement and not process. So if I have to be the tzaddik, so then, oh my gosh, I, I feel compelled to go 16 steps forward because I have to get there. I have to achieve. Whereas you see from the Vilna Gaon that the emphasis, emphasis, is, emphasis is on the process. I have to go incrementally because that's where I am. I have to build from within myself and enjoy each and every step as it moves me forward. And then it's integrated and then it's healthy and then it's coherent as I gently move myself forward from within myself. And you know what? Every small gain is so satisfying because I'm not measuring myself up to some arbitrary objective future projected self. No, I'm enjoying this moment of, can I take the next step? And then I enjoy the next step, which opens up the next step. I grow from a deep and profound understanding of myself. Ben, what would you like to ask? Um, two questions, right? You said that. How do you, I know it's kind of back to what we did last time, but how do you separate between what you need to do and what you can do? It becomes a very difficult question in other words because we all have emotional and perhaps sometimes spiritual obstacles all of us so if I would present to all of us in this room the opportunity to subscribe to every every last letter of what the Torah requires of us so there would be no one in the room that would be capable of doing it 
So, what happens if I say the following thing? I say, listen, where I'm at right now, I feel that I'm incapable of praying at all. It's not where I'm at. And I'm incapable of eating kosher. And in terms of Shabbos, Shabbat, I can, I can foreseeably have a Friday night meal. Is that okay? Well, the question is, if that's where you are, that's okay. If that's not where you are, then that's not okay. Is it where you are? Now, how do you judge that? That's what I'm saying. Like, is it, like, how should you do that's not okay? Like, how do you judge that? How do you judge it? So, so, okay, let's work this out. Let's try, let's try to go into this. Um, if I want to make a shift in my, in my current state of um, anything, my study habits, my physical fitness, my relationships, and I want to shift something. I'm not happy with the status quo, which is really the topic over here. we shifting status quo. So when I want to shift status quo, the question is, what's called a big step, which is beyond my reach, and what's called a too small a step, and what's called the right step? So let's say, talk about a relationship. Um, I have a relationship, I have a friend, that right now I feel that there's a breakdown in our communication. <coughs> So there's a big step. Too big a step would be for me to stop doing everything I'm doing and devote half an hour to trying to figure out how I can resolve this and um, traveling to where he is and speaking to him. Too small a step would be just to think about it for two seconds and ignore it. The appropriate thing that I'm reckoning with myself, and maybe I'll figure out later that it was too small or too big, I'm not quite sure, but is that I'm going to think about what he said and over the course of time allow my, myself to process it because I want some of the emotions that are triggered by his comments to settle down so I can approach it with a little, process it with a little bit more kind of breadth and depth and give space and, and then, and then I kind of figure out what I should do next. If it's um, exercise, so I want to get fitter. Right now, I'm exercising once a week. I want to exercise every day. So I should start tomorrow exercising every day. No, it's not going to work. Yes, but, then, but, but then if you know, like you said, you know you're going to exercise every day, but then when you, you can't exercise every day. So then you do once, let's say once a week. So it's kind of worth it. To you. Yes, to me. Right. Because if you look at it as, do you understand, this is exactly the trap. If you look at it is I have to be exercising every day. So then when you exercise once a week, so then it's meaningless because you're just so far away from the goal that you set yourself that you need to achieve. Because you're not in the process, you're in the achievement state. So if you measure where you are relative to where you have to be, so then oh, what am I wasting my time for? But if you recognize that I'm in a process of upping my exercise, and last week I didn't exercise at all, and now I'm exercising once a week. Wow, I can enjoy that once a week worth of exercise. Maybe next week I'll try twice a week, and then you do twice a week. And then over the course of time, you develop into, you grow into an exerciser. As opposed to leveraging yourself with the goal that becomes an inhibitor because when you're not there and the goal that you've placed, which you haven't really 
properly judged its distance. So you think it's like it's, it's just around the corner, but really it's way, way, way down in the distance. So you, why am I not there? Why am I not there yet? Well, the reason why you're not there yet is because it's far away. It's a little bit of it's th- this mentality of an inability to grasp with 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 the steps of growth, which is what we're discussing about, is actually reflected in your average family holiday. What happens when family packs into the car and they're going on a long road trip? And they're on the road trip and they've been going for half an hour and little Yankee from the back pipes up and says, Are we there yet? It's like a seven hour journey. Because that's why it's foolishness. Because a young child doesn't know how to measure distance. And they can't sit with themselves for the seven-hour journey. They want to be there now. I want to be there now. The function of being there now is an immaturity. It's a foolishness. That's not how life works. So goal achievement can often fall into that paradigm of, well, I need to keep there, I need to get there now, I need to get there now. Well, how do I know that I need to get there now? Because since I'm doing... 10% of what I need to do, that's worthless. But if I recognize that the goal that I'm going to achieve is something that's going to be attainable within the next perhaps three years, four years, I don't know. So then I don't keep on asking myself the question, am I there yet? Because it's not about being there, it's about being here. So how do you shift to achievements? Beg your pardon? How do you shift the achievements? I don't even know what you mean by that. How do you shift the achievement or how do you shift your mindset? Well, like, how do you get a, a realistic achievement that you won't, that, that you won't be chasing something that's there? So, just like if I want to run a marathon, I take into consideration my present level of fitness. I think about how much time I have to train. I think about my physiological predisposition, how much of a talented athlete am I or am I not? And I take these things into consideration and I project ahead and think, okay, well, based on my current state of fitness and my body and the fact that I've only got 15 to 20 minutes a day to train, it's probably going to take me a year and a half to get to the level when I can run a 10K or 21K. So it's like a year and a half away. So after six months, if I see them not running a 21K, I say, well, of course, well, why would I? I? I never thought I would be. It's all this kind of self-understanding using our incredible power of Seichel to govern our, our, our decisions. Yes. Um, the, there's like, there's like, there's like the idea that a person has to kill himself for Torah, right? So like, what, how does that fit in kind of like with... That's a great question. In other words, there's, there's a metrash, there's Adam Kiyomus Boyle, that a person ain't devoted to miskaim el-bimi alayhem, devoted stick by someone that's willing to give up his life for them. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that you have to commit suicide when you walk into the base metrash. That wouldn't be that productive. What it means is that life is... Um, the energy that we have in our in our bodies in our in our lives. When I when I have the um, focus, um, I'm going to have to give up some of that for turn. So, so for example, let's start off with the fitness example and then go to turn. So let's say I recognize I want to run a marathon and I recognize I'm not in the best state of fitness and I recognize I'm overweight and I recognize it's going to take me a while to get fit. I've decided to train three times a week. The only time I have is six o'clock in the morning. My alarm rings at quarter to six and my eyes are heavy as hell. And I push myself to do that one training per week. That's called killing myself. 
applying it to Torah, I'm at the end of Seder and I've learned well, and there's three minutes left. And I think, I could do with the coffee now. But really, it's just, just, I don't really need the coffee. I'm just kind of feeling a little bit kind of antsy. I said, you know what? I'm going to put in an extra one minute. I put in the extra one minute. It's appropriate. It's within my reach. It's sustainable. Let's go kill myself with that. Gentlemen, I think we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, needing to end now. Thank you for your continued participation.